I want you to grab your Bibles this morning and uh, be turning with me over to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're looking over these next six weeks, well last week included, at our responses to the discovery that we have an awesome God that we worship and we praise. There's something that you and I should be doing in response to who He is. Uh, if you're visiting today, we've been studying the attributes of God, who God is and what He's like. And when we discover who He is, there's a response. There's a way that we should be in response to who He is. In fact, this year we're studying the attributes of God, the doctrine of God. In the spring, we'll start studying the doctrine of godliness and what it means to be like Him. And that should be our heart's desire. And that's what we pray for. And we're in Romans chapter 12, as we saw last week, the first response we should have to the God who is so awesome and who has loved us is we should respond by loving him. He's worthy to love. But today we want to consider what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 and that is the God that we worship is worthy to serve. So if you're turning there, turn to Romans chapter 12 and we'll be in verse 1 and 2 in just a moment. In our lives, your life, my life, if we profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, as his disciple, or as a disciple of him, as a Christ follower, our life should demonstrate that in many different ways. And one of the particular ways Paul's going to explain here is there should be a willingness in your life and my life to serve the Lord. And that's more than just here on Sunday morning. If you travel the globe, one thing you'll discover, no matter what deity is worshipped, what faith there is, whatever house of worship or temple you go into, those, those who profess a particular faith, there's expectations of how they should live, how many times they should pray perhaps a day, and, and other things that they should do, and, and their uh, worship of their God, their deity. But we know this, the Word of God it teaches us that based on who our God is, we should respond to Him in particular ways. And this verse, I think, sums up all of those particular ways with just one simple word and one simple way of living, and that is, we should delight to do His will. That's what a servant does. A servant does the will of his master. If you boil down everything Jesus did, He came to do this, the Father's will. That's all he came to do. And it just makes sense that if you and I profess to be disciples, that we're going to want to do the same thing. Just do the Father's will. And that's what Paul's going to say here. And I'll show you that in just a moment in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen, I know as men we can make expectations. We can make a list, a laundry list, frankly, of our traditions and what we say everyone ought to do as a disciple of Christ. The Word of God clarifies it real simply for this. If if we'll just realize that all we have to do is God's will. And that'll handle everything in your life. You say, well, what does that mean about my prayer life? Well, what's God's will? His will says that you and I should pray at all times, unceasingly. You say, man, I don't know that I can pull that off. Oh, we're supposed to be in a spirit of prayer, no matter what we may face. That, you know what, His will is that we call on Him. Is that the attitude of your heart today? Uh, what about our giving? He, does he describe anything? He says, yes, you should give. And we should give generously, joyfully, a cheerful giver, realizing that he greatly, great, we gratefully real, are give, receivers of a gift that he gave us in his son. And he says, this is how you give back to me. You can't outgive me, so just give with joy and watch what I can do. With the little you give or the much that you give, I can multiply it and do amazing things. And so anytime you and I have a question, at the end of the day, our heart's desire as servants of the Lord, as his people, is that we should ask, well, what's God's will in this matter? 
If I'm willing to do that, if you're willing to do that, then we will have a blessed life. And I'll demonstrate that here in just a moment as well. If you found Romans chapter 12, we're going to stand and just read these two verses together to realize our God is worthy to serve this morning. And this is really just what we're supposed to do. And Paul explains it for us real simply here in just two verses. I beseech you, brethren. In other words, this is really important. I'm He's saying something very critical that we need to tune our ears in. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I want you to notice that phrase. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Mind that you may prove that which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, notice the two phrases that which is your reasonable service, the end of verse one, and then the end of verse two, which is the will of God. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Father, may your spirit fill our hearts and minds. God, we need you to speak to us, Lord, so that we, as those who profess to be your children, those who profess to be your disciples, who follow after you, God, we might know how we're to live day by day. That, Lord, the world around us might not just see our devotion, they might see our dedication, Lord. We profess our allegiance to you, but may they see through our attitude of our heart and life, the way we live, that we are the authentic people of God. And I pray that your spirit would speak, Lord, even to those perhaps who have yet to profess you as Lord and Savior and help them to realize that it's a decision, frankly, that they need to make today as well. So, Lord, we come with open hearts. We want you to speak because you have the words of life, Jesus. So speak to us, we pray. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I highlighted and want to point out those two ending phrases in verse 1 and verse 2 and the relationship of those and realizing that we have a God that we, who is worthy to serve. This is something that is just reasonable service. You and I should be willing to serve our Lord in a particular way and we'll highlight that in just a moment. And when you stop and consider that this, all of this proves the will of God, that which is good, Acceptable and perfect, his perfect will. How is it that being a servant, serving someone, and doing their will are related? Well, listen to this. Anytime you're going to be a servant, you're going to do not your will, but someone else's will, right? You don't do what you want to do if you're truly going to serve someone else. Then you're going to do what they want you to do. And for those of us in this room who have done what it says over in Romans chapter 10, that we have believed in our heart and we have confessed with our lips, Jesus is Lord, and we profess that, we profess that he is the Lord, the one who reigns over all, and he's come to reign over our hearts. And if we profess that this morning, then we that implies that not only have we become his children, but we are his servants as well. And we come to serve him and do his will. And when we profess our faith, we're professing our faith in one who embodied this, as Paul would say over in the book of Philippians, that though he was God and he held that position, he didn't hold on to that, but he emptied himself and took on flesh. He took the form of man. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. He came among us. He tabernacled, tabernacled among us. He put on this flesh and he took the form specifically of a bondservant. A servant, why? 
so he could go to a cross and die for you and for me and pay the penalty for our sins and live the righteous life that none of us could so that he could save us from our sins. He came as a suffering servant. Isaiah wrote about him over in Isaiah 53. And he's the one who fulfilled that. So it's not surprising, listen, if you and I profess Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, that we would follow in his footsteps and be willing to serve him. And so, so this is so critical today because if we're honest, let's be honest, the world we live in doesn't like to serve, they want to be served, amen? And that mindset, frankly, has crept into the church in many ways, into believers' lives. Because we come and we love to be served, but really we don't realize, no, the joy of the Christian life, the joy in this is serving our King. And pouring oneself out just as He poured Himself out for us. In fact, it's, it's remarkable that we forget what Jesus said. He said, listen, if you want to find your life, lose it. That doesn't make any sense. Oh yeah, when you and I die to self, we find life in Him. And that's what He called us to, a life of surrender, a life of service, a life of yielding to Him. And we need to make sure that that worldly mindset that so easily can, can affect our ways of thinking and our ways of living isn't ruling in our heart, but the Word of God is. In fact, these verses that we read here, you should memorize these, etch them on your heart and allow the Spirit of God to use that to be a, a plumb line for us by the decisions that we make each and every day. And whether we're going to serve our own will and our own desires or someone else's, or whether we're going to serve the Lord. Because if we profess Lord, Jesus is Lord, then it can't be my will be done. It's thy will be done. And so let's see how that, what that service looks like as Paul explains it here. And notice the context again. He's beseeching the brethren. So he's speaking to us as well this morning. And he's saying, listen, by God's mercy, the mercies of God, present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. This is your, notice this, reasonable service. By God's mercy, and everything we do is by His mercy, by God's mercy, every day what we're supposed to be doing is presenting our bodies to the Lord as to be instruments for service. God's desire is to fill us with the presence of His Spirit and that we're to go and serve Him. This, this offering that we give up is not some offering that we bring an animal. It's our lives. It's you. It's me. And when he says to present ourselves in the Greek, this is a picture, this is a verb tense which says, listen, we make a decision once and it has implications for the rest of our life. And there's no hedging, there's no wavering, there's no going back. We've made a decision. It's the decision to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him daily. And Paul says, what kind of service is this? It's a reasonable service. It just makes sense. It's reasonable. You say, well, how does it make sense to die to yourself? Why should I be willing to die to myself? Why should I be willing to die to my plans, my purposes? Why should I be willing to die to my priorities? I kind of like my life. I've got a good life. I've got a blessed life. I'm, everything seems to be going well. Well, notice there's a therefore, and the there is there for a reason. You've heard that before, right? The therefore, what is the therefore? What is the reason that is there? Well, if you go to the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, what you discover is some good theology. And as Paul always does in his letters, he first it has good theology, good doctrine. And then in the second half or the later chapters of a letter, he will have good practice. 
How do you put this faith into the flesh? How do you work it out? And that's what he does here. The reason this he's imploring, he's begging, he's calling on the church to do this is because, stop and think of all the good doctrine that we would have heard in chapters 1 through 8 in particular about our individual salvation and then God's plan to save both Jew and Gentile and how he does that in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Well, the therefore is there because of some therefores that are in earlier chapters of Romans. Over in chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul concludes his discussion about the sinfulness of mankind. That's Jew and Gentile, male and female. It doesn't matter. We're all wrapped up in this. We all are sinners from head to toe. We're wretched. We've got no hope. There's none not righteous. No, not one. And when he concludes... All of that discussion, even if you think you're really good today and a very moral person, you've stumbled and fall short in some point. And if you're guilty of one point, beloved, you're guilty of the whole thing. And what he says is, therefore, we are condemned. We cannot make ourselves right before God in anything we do by keeping the law. We've got no hope, y'all. If we try to keep the law, there is no hope for us. We're going to stumble at some point and fall short. And when we do, we stand condemned. We have no hope. What we deserve is the wrath of God. That's not a good therefore. I don't like that one, Pastor Chris. Well, that's an essential one for everyone to understand. Because if you don't understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you won't realize you need to be saved. Now, the next, therefore, is over in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And what it says over there is even though we are wretched and have no hope, we can be made right. We can be treated just as if we have never sinned. Paul says it this way in Romans 5 and verse 1. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we were in our sinful state, we were enemies of God. We weren't his children. We were children of the devil. We were just like him. We're influenced by the darkness, the spirit of the air. And we were estranged from God. We were far from him. But when you're justified by faith, when you and I repent of our sins and place our faith in trust, as Lindsay declared today when she went through the baptismal waters, I asked her, Lindsay, do you believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again? She said, yes. But it's not enough just to know that because the devil knows that and he trembles. The demons tremble. It's more than just knowing he died. A lot of people know the story. They know that. But it's the question that I asked Lindsay, the second question, which is this. No, do you believe he died for you? For your sins and are you placing your faith in Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? We, we die in likeness to his death, but we rise to walk in newness of life as we transfer our trust and put it in him. And when we repent and put our faith in him, the Bible says that we who weren't right can be made right. And God can treat us just as if we have never sinned. Woo, that's glorious today. To know that I don't have to be treated or condemned because of my decisions and what I've done, but by putting my faith in Jesus as the Messiah who died for me, I can be treated just as if I've never sinned. That's glorious. I'm grateful that's in the Bible. And then you say, but you know, I'm going through life and I'm seeing my life. I don't always do it right. And there's things I do in my flesh I wish I didn't do. And there's things I don't do that I wish I did. Paul had that wrestling too. And that's why you get over to chapter 8 and verse 1. And it's the other therefore, which I'm glad it's there because it's there for a reason. And here's what it says. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ 
Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I mean, the wonderful truth is that our salvation is secure in Christ. There's an assurance for us that what he did is sufficient. It's enough. Nothing has to be added to it. He's com- we're complete in him. But our desire, listen, is that we not, no longer walk by the flesh, but now we walk by the Spirit of God who dwells within us. All of those reasons make it reasonable to say we ought to serve him. And then you just throw on top of that not only our salvation, but when we just stop and think that Jesus himself, who existed in the form of God, didn't hold on to that position, but tabernacled among us. He put on flesh. He came to redeem us. Why wouldn't I follow in his footsteps and do exactly like my Savior did, whose spirit now dwells within me? It just makes sense to me that my desire, your desire as a follower of Christ is this. I just want to delight to do his will. In fact, that's what was written of him over in the Psalms, the Messianic Psalms. When it says over there in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, that section, Sacrifice a meal offering thou hast not desired, but I have dug thy ear. Behold, it's written in the book, a scroll. It's written of me, I delight to do thy will. When you dig an ear, it's a picture of a bondservant. And he submits his ear to the, whatever his master commands him to do. And that's what it says of Jesus. He's the suffering servant. He came to give his life for us. And he delighted to do the Father's will. In fact, you remember even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was there. The night before the cross. And that cup of God's wrath was before him. And he prayed and he said, Father, if it's possible, could, if this cup can pass from me, May it be, but, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And he prayed that three times. It's, it, it's his spirit that dwells within the believer, which gives us every reason why we should want to do the same thing. Not my will, but thy will be done. I mean, it's all the spiritual benefits, when you just stop and think. I mean, there's, there's even more icing on this cake, if you want to say it that way. When you stop and just reason among this, that we were alienated from him, but now we've become his children. Heirs and joint heirs of all that God has is for us today. Why wouldn't I want to serve him? Why wouldn't I want to enjoy all that he has for me? When I stop and think, as he says back in Romans chapter 6, when he says, you know, I used to present myself as a slave of sin. You and I used to wake up every morning and, and, and we would go through life and we, we, we were slaves to the, the, the carnal pleasures of our, of our flesh and we, we did the will of sin and that led to unrighteousness. But now that we're slaved, We wake up with a new desire, a new hunger in our hearts. And that's to be slaves of righteousness. And all that leads to holiness. There's a change in our attitude, a change in our desires. And it's just reasonable now that we would want to serve him and do his will. That's all he did. If you sum up everything Jesus did, he came to do the Father's will. Everything. And that's what should be our desire as well as children of God. It's just reasonable Now, it's not only a service that's reasonable, it's also a service that is religious. You say, oh, wait, we got some rules, some regulations, some things we should do. No, look at the verse. I'm going to show you this here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, 
which is your reasonable service. The picture here in the presentation of our bodies or our reasonable service in the Greek, the picture there is of a term that isn't like a being a table waiter to serve someone, but it's a picture of the Old Testament priests who served in the temple and the type of service that they rendered to God. And so it's religious in this sense, not in that that's going to make us righteous to God, but because we've been set apart, loved by him, we're his people, now we serve him in a particular way. You say, wait a second, that's the tabernacle, that's the temple. Well, you're the preacher, I'm in the pew, that's not me. You're the one anointed, chosen by God, set apart for ministry, right? Oh, no, beloved. We all, if you're a born-again believer... We need to understand this, what Peter would say over in 1 Peter chapter 2. We are a royal priesthood. Now there's one high priest, it's Jesus, right? He's the one we go to, but we are part of a priesthood. In fact, it says in the next verses of Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, that God gifts us for ministry. God gives us his Holy Spirit and blesses us, gifts us to serve in his body. And that we have a responsibility to do precisely that. In fact, as part of his royal priesthood, we offer up sacrifices, a particular sacrifice that we bring, and that is our body as a living sacrifice. You know, if you study the Old Testament, what did they do in the Old Testament? When you went to worship at the tabernacle or the temple, an Old Testament priest, you would bring your turtle dove, you would bring your lamb, you might bring a heifer, and you would bring your sacrifice. And as you brought that sacrifice, that worshiper would come and he'd offer it up to the priest and, and he would lay his hand on the head of that sacrifice and he would confess his sins. And the priest would reach inside his belt and pull out a knife and slit the throat of that animal and he'd take one of the vessels there and collect the blood and they would use that in the sacrifice as part of what was offered up to the Lord. But, but that was to be a dead sacrifice. We are to be living sacrifices. What does that mean? Well, see... Every day, you and I are making a choice in our service to the Lord. Whether we will die to self and find life in Him, or whether we won't, we'll do our own will. And the sacrifice we bring, praise God we didn't bring all our farm animals today, amen? Whew, that would have, hmm, that would have been interesting. We brought ourselves. We brought ourselves. Hey, it's a living sacrifice, which means it's not limited just to Sunday. You see, we are the temple of God. You say, we are? We're a building? Oh yeah, Peter said that in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're living stones, one upon one, built upon another to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You and I, by the way, we have one chief cornerstone. His name is Jesus, and our life is built upon him. He's the one that holds the building soundly in its place, amen? We're built upon him, and whether individually we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, he dwells within us, or whether we're corporately the body of Christ, the temple of the living God, where we worship and serve together, Regardless of whether you're looking at it individually or corporately, the truth is this. We, we are priests to serve in his temple and priests to serve him. And we should want to serve him. By the way, when he says this is holy and acceptable, it's amazing that term holy means something that is set apart to God. 
If you go read in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, what you see over there is when Moses was given the instructions for the building of the tabernacle for the house of worship, they were also given instructions on the different instruments and vessels that they needed in the house of worship. And every vessel that was made, whether it collected blood or whether it offered up incense or whatever it was used for, all of them were stamped with this phrase, ready? Holy to the Lord. Why holy to the Lord? That means they're set apart to the Lord. In other words, the priest would maybe use one of those vessels offering up incense and then take that home with him at night and use it at his house. No, 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 it's set apart for the Lord. This is critical. When he says you and I are presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, what he's saying is you and I are stamped holy. We belong to the Lord. We're to serve him. We, We are his chosen people. We're to live that way. Instruments, Paul would say that to Timothy. In, in, in the house, there are many vessels, right? Some for honor, some for dishonor. And I want to be a vessel for honor, amen? I want to be one used by the Lord. There are all kinds of vessels that were used in the tabernacle, and they all had a purpose. And the critical thing is this, finding my place, my purpose, to serve the Lord, to be an instrument that he can use, a vessel he can fill my body, just as Jesus put on flesh and filled a body. So he could redeem all of us. It's reasonable and there's a religious sense in this. Am I presenting myself for service to my Savior? To to my Lord, to my God, the one that I declare. This is holy, I'm set apart to him, but it's also acceptable. We belong to him. We've been bought with a price. He, He accepts us and he wants to work in us and through us. Not for just our benefit, but for the benefit of all. Paul would say that over in 1 Corinthians when he talks about spiritual gifts and serving the Lord. This is reasonable. There's a religious aspect to it. But notice also in verse 2, there is a rational aspect to this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I circled in my Bible up in verse 1, your bodies. And then here I circled your mind. These two things go together. In this sense, my mind tells my body what to do. Everybody got a brain, amen? I do. My kids wondered once, but I did have an uh, uh, MRI, and I do have one, and I have the pictures if anybody else wants to see it. Um, Your mind tells your body what to do. All the different parts. God wants, listen, he's not just worried, he just don't, don't want our bodies. He wants the mind that tells the body what to do. And here's the danger. The world wants your mind too. And the world wants to influence our minds. We used to walk according, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, according to the course of this world. And what's scary is when you read over in Romans chapter 1, what's scary is that what our minds used to be like, darkened, ignorant, right? We, 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 we profess to be wise, but we're fools. Our minds used to be influenced by the ways of the world, and we lived that way. We had futile thinking. In fact, some God gives over to a debased mind. That's how we once were before we were saved. And now he wants to renew our mind. Why? Because the inclination of what happens is oftentimes we are trying to be conformed into some mold that the world says, this is what you and I should fit in. These are worldly ways of thinking. And this too has crept into the church. And it's crept into believers' lives. That we listen to what the world has to say rather than what the word has to say. 
So much so that they want us to be politically correct. We want you to be socially acceptable. We want you to do what the world defines as morality. And in fact, we shouldn't be listening to that. We shouldn't fit into that mold. We should say, no, I don't want to go in that mold anymore. I used to be in it. But I've been delivered from it. And so we, need to be we don't want to be conformed. We want to be transformed. And the word there is a Greek word, which anyone who studied biology or, or science and all those wonderful creatures God has made, particularly the caterpillar, we know that the caterpillar, uh, the word here, Greek word is metamorphosis. Uh, that's the transfiguration that Jesus went through where what was on the inside came out. It's the same way with a caterpillar when it goes into that cocoon and, and it's there. What's inside that, that little worm, that caterpillar, comes out. And what comes out is this beautiful butterfly. And our lives are supposed to be transformed in that same way. Well, how does that happen, Pastor Chris? Because there's days I don't see that transformation like I... It's the Word of God. I renew my mind. And what I write on my mind are not worldly ways of thinking. I begin to write God's ways of thinking on my mind. Memorizing Scripture. Hiding that Word in my heart. Living out then, fleshing out in my body what my mind is telling me. Why? Because I'm taking things captive to the knowledge of who God is and what Christ has commanded. That's why we study the attributes of God. It's one thing to profess, I believe God is almighty. Uh, I believe God is sufficient. It's another thing to believe him and trust him when I'm in a desperate need for help. And believe, well, I can't do this, but my God can. And my life to be oriented, directed, because I believe that's true and I'm trusting in him. You see, God wants to renew our minds today. Now, that doesn't happen if we don't open the word and hear him speak and allow the spirit of God, listen, to orient and direct our steps as we walk in a particular way. But God doesn't, this is just rational. It's the way we should be thinking renewing my mind, no longer conformed, but instead transformed. And, and, and if I'm willing to do that, to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. Now listen, this is a daily decision you have to make. We wake up in the morning and we make a choice right there. And that's why it's not just reasonable, it's not just some religious type of service, it's not just rational that it's affecting my mind, but here it is, there has to be resolve. There has to be your will surrendered and yielded. Because when you do this, you prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect, what? Will of God. Because see, when I do the thinking and my body wants to do certain things, I do my will. But when I yield myself and present my body, here, fill me. God, do what you want. I'm just an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. Do whatever you want to do. What would it look like, listen, if the whole church tomorrow on Monday morning, wherever we went, were yielded, surrendered for the power of the Spirit within us, instruments in your hand. And we were renewing our minds so that we were thinking God's thoughts after him and allowing his word to direct ourselves. And our will was this. I just want to prove God's will. I want to prove what is good and acceptable and perfect by choosing his will and not choosing mine. You see, that's what God wants to do in your life, in my life, as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of him, as a believer in him. Listen, it is good to surrender to God's will. Beloved, I'm telling you, I don't know about you, I'll, I'll, 
you know, testimony. When I choose to do certain things and I'm not guided by God's word and empowered by God's spirit, they usually don't turn out good. Amen? Thank you for the honest ones. Amen. They don't. They're not good. Here's the amazing thing. When I surrender to him, when I love him, and when I'm called according to his purposes, there's a promise that he's going to work out things in my life for good. That's why doing his will, it will always be glorious and always be good. Glorious for him, and I promise, good for you. And here's the amazing thing. Not just good for you, but I'm telling you, there's times where our, my will, my choices, and, and the things I desire to do, serving my own self, serving, doing someone else's will, not his, that doesn't always bring good in people's lives. We've seen that. We've seen the consequences of sin, the collateral damages from those decisions. But praise God, the God we worship can redeem. He can reclaim what's been lost. What locusts have eaten, he can restore. That's the amazing thing. And he does that, working things together for good. But all it takes is you and I surrendering, yielding to him, and saying, I'm presenting myself for service. Whatever you want to do, God, I'm here to serve you. You're my Savior and you're my Lord. You call the shots. So help me to do that which is your good and acceptable and perfect will. We're not going to perfect God's will. It's already a perfect will. What he wants to do is perfect, complete, mature you and me as his disciples and make us what we ought to be, which is more like his son. And so we surrender our wills. When God has my will, he has my mind, he has my body, God does amazing things in and through my life. And that's what he wants to do. You know, in fact, it's amazing when you stop and think about this. There's an old hymn of the faith that uh, we used to sing. My life, my love, I give to thee. Thou Lamb of God who died for me. Oh, may I ever faithful be, my Savior and my God. Then this refrain. I'll live for him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. You see, so often our problems and the things that were affecting us in life are because of our will and our decisions and the things we've done in our bodies, listen, and our faulty ways of thinking because it's not been God's will. It's not been surrendered and yielded to him. But if we profess to know him, and know all the doctrine about salvation and what he's done. And we have put our faith and trust in him, declaring, confessing him as Savior and as Lord. Then, beloved, there's no sweeter master to serve than our Savior. To say, my life, I'll give. Why? Because I'll live for him who died for me. And when we do that, how happy our life shall be. You see, when Jesus put on the flesh, he came to do the Father's will. Not my will, but thy will be done. And that meant he went to a cross to die for you and me and purchase our pardon. Praise God. Do you think that he would ask anything less of us to die to self and praise God to find life in him? And see, that's the invitation this morning. Do you profess to know the one true God? Does, does your life, your, your desires, your will, what you want in life, is it holy, acceptable, good, pleasing to the Father? 
Or is it still some of my own carnal delights and desires? This is a time in, when we have an invitation where we, where we bring our hearts before the Lord. We, we've looked into the mirror of God's word. God has spoken to us. And the question is, what did I see? Don't, don't be someone who hears the word and, and walks away and forgets what he saw, as James would say. Don't, don't hear, don't look and go, oh, man, that, that hurts. And, and walk away and think, well, it'll be okay in a little bit. No, no, no. It's a time of surrender. It's time to say, you know what? I need to yield. Uh, it's just reasonable. It just makes sense. And I ought to do it. And God has a purpose for every single one of us in this room. To, to fill us with his spirit. To be an instrument. I love what Paul would say in his own personal testimony over in 1 Timothy chapter 1. When he writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, let me tell you about redemption and what God did. For this reason I obtained mercy. That in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul says, Timothy, I look at my life and I realize God saved me. He showed me mercy. And he did that, listen, not just to save me, but that I in my new life in Christ might be a pattern for others to believe. In fact, what he said just in the verse previous to that, he said, it's a trustworthy statement deserving all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners among whom I'm the worst. Paul saw his life, he's the bottom of the bucket, y'all. Everybody above him can be saved if you're the bottom of the bucket. If God can save me, God can do something and change my life, he can change anybody's life. It's a healthy perspective for all of us to get a little lower and realize we're nothing without him. But by his grace, we're everything. And by his mercy. And that may be a pattern for someone else as they see your life surrendered and yielded to all that God wants to do in you and through you. So this is a time when we bow our heads for a moment and we're honest with God. And the invitation is this. Have you ever surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior? Are you worshiping a God who is worthy not only to love with all your heart, but also worthy to serve with all of your being? Because if you need to profess today Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is the time when we do that. We come to the altar and we just say to a pastor, hey, I, I need to be saved. I need to ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. And so I come to do that. Or maybe you are a believer. You've professed faith in Christ, but you know what? You're not yielding. You're not surrendering. But the admonition today, the exhortation today... The, the beseeching today, I've heard the Spirit of God speak. There's an area in my life where I've been saying, No, Lord, my will be done. My will be done. My will be done. Today, I just want to bend the knee and bend my will and say, No, God, your will be done. Whatever you command me to do. I'll present myself as an instrument in your hand. To be filled by your Spirit. To surrender my will, my mind, to your ways of thinking and your ways of living. That's why the altar is open. If anyone needs to make a profession of faith or needs a prayer today, just to be more committed in our walk with Christ, we're here to implore, encourage one another to continue to do good works, especially as we see the day approaching of Christ's return. That's wills, that's hearts that have said, You're Lord, I'm not. I want to delight. Find joy in doing your will. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Hopefully we're being honest with the Lord. We're not walking away quickly from what we've heard today. But we're being honest. Lord, plow my heart. Make it soft. Make it yielded. 
Lord, may it be that I, I delight in doing your will. There's joy in it. Let's be honest. Sometimes we don't do that in our flesh. God, forgive us. There's grace and there's mercy today to run to him and ask him to change that in our lives today. And so will you do that even now? Some need to do that. And you need to thank him for that grace and that mercy, which does change us. It transforms us. And pray that that transformation to, would take place. That we, we, we would grow some wings and, and fly beautifully and, and flutter by some people uh, in life. And that they, like Paul would say, would see us as a pattern. A way that they too could be changed. Paul, Paul persecuted God's people he, he was a blasphemer, he's a persecutor, a violent man, and yet God showed him mercy and radically changed his life, so much so that Paul was then willing to die and desired that his countrymen would be saved as well. Ask the Lord for that transformation in your life today. Ask for mercy, ask for grace to empower us to be the people of God we ought to be.